I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I just woke my dog up. You see... Folks, welcome back to Reconsider, where we do Into the Thinking For You, part of the Agora Podcast Network, et cetera, et cetera. But before we do the show, <laughs> we, uh, Eric and I both record locally, which just means that we talk to each other on Google Chat, but we're recording with a local program like Audacity just on our own computers, and then we sync the two files up afterwards. So we clap before we start the episode in order to make sure that our files are synced up. And as soon as I clap this time, my dog who's sitting beside me just like woke up and looked very startled. It's like, oh, Xander, what are you syncing about? <laughs> Get it? Uh, oh. <laughs> what are you syncing about? What are you syncing? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Um, if only he was a German Shepherd, that would have been perfect. He's part, he's part German Shepherd. He's like there 18%. Yeah, he's 18% German Shepherd. He 18% would understand that joke if he spoke English or German. How do you get 18%? Is that... I, I can show you. I, I did one of those DNA things, and it has, like, <laughs> his parents back several generations and grandparents, and, like, like, you go four generations back, and, like, one of them is, like, a partial mix, right? So, it just... Got it. Yeah, I'll show you sometime. It's funny. Okay. Well, thank you. And what's less funny is uh, what we're talking about today. Yeah. So... <laughs> Welcome uh, back. We're ta- yeah, welcome back. So we're talking we're talking about Operation Legend, which you may have heard of or may not have heard of, and the wider deployment of federal agents and troops to American cities by the Trump administration, in particular, of course, the city of Portland, Oregon. And we're gonna be we're gonna be spending a lot of time even just picking apart what's happening, because there's a lot even when we were doing research for this episode, there was stuff we were learning that like, oh, I didn't realize that was even going on. So we're, we're going to share a little bit of what's happening so that you kind of have the whole picture. And then we're going to get into stuff like, is it legal? How should we feel about it versus other things? Right. Like, so put some context around it, because, of course, this is very much the kind of thing that's super well designed to be really wedgy. And um, super well designed for, you know, it's very easy for us to get, you know, partial pictures of, of what's going on. And we're hoping we can fill in some of the details for y'all. And by super wedgy, you don't mean a super wedgy, in which case no. I won't make the joke. <laughs> so what is Operation Legend? What's, what's been going on? Well, over the last uh, about month or so, I guess, yeah, yeah. We're, we're in early August now. Wow. Where'd, where did the year go? Trump began deploying uh, Department of Homeland Security, Security Forces, paramilitary forces, essentially, if you, if you see how a lot of them are equipped and adorned, as well as FBI and DEA and ATF and Border Patrol agents, uh, investigators and, and law enforcement officials. And ostensibly, the idea was to help with the rising violent crime rate and murders in a number of U.S. cities. And uh, as always, we will have sources for all of these figures that we reference uh, in our show notes at reconsidermedia.com. So we will have a link to you know, what some of uh, these statistics of rising crime rates are. And they are, in fact, rising in several cities, which we'll get to. Yes. And so Operation Legend, I had first thought, I mean, it may still be this, but I had first thought, wow, what a dumb name, right? A legend? Like, who's the legend? Who's the legendary person? Is it William Barr? Right? What a legend. But it's uh, technically named after legend or legend, perhaps, um, Talaferro, who was a boy killed while sleeping in Kansas City. He was four years old um, on June 29th. So it was a stray bullet struck him and killed him on June 29th in Kansas City. And in fact, the first official city 
to be targeted is that the word or at least involved you know like part of operation legend is kansas city not portland oregon and i i had assumed and i think i even read it somewhere this is kind of how confused everyone is as, as we try to sort it out that portland was part of operation legend and it is in fact not part of operation legend it is part of the protecting american communities task force or pact and where operation legend is about is at least ostensibly right that the what william barr and donald trump are saying is that operation legend is federal agents particularly investigators um and and regular law enforcement folks from places like the atf and dea hunting down criminals and arresting them right helping cities try to combat the spike in crime portland was about protecting federal property and so the you know the the troops deployed to Portland were there to protect like federal courthouses and such. Again, that's at least the the what's being said now. It's possible that previously, you know, uh, I can't find it, but but I I get this feeling possible previously the president had said that Portland the Portland deployment was in fact about rising crime in Portland, but he may have only been referring to property crime against federal targets or not. But that's at least that's at least what's going on now. And this distinction is actually going to be important for us discussing what's going on with other cities, because there's an open question about whether whether and to what extent uh, Operation Legend deployments to other cities will or won't be like those in Portland. But what we do know is that there are other deployments of these law enforcement officials or agents in Kansas City where there is kind of you know, a level of consent from local government. In Detroit, there is a level of consent from local government. In Albuquerque, there is a deployment of a few dozen federal agents against the opposition of the mayor and the chief of police. And in Chicago, they're still sort of negotiating it. So there's a there's a bunch of cities on the list where agents, you know, federal agents are are ostensibly being sent to deal with crime. And uh, and there's also what happened in Portland, which is now blessedly in the past that we're going to be discussing. So the deployment in Portland was done against the wishes of both state and local government uh, and authorities. So both Portland and state of Oregon. So for example, the Portland City Council voted unanimously to ban cooperation with federal troops. However, the deployment of federal troops seemingly occurred with the cooperation of local Portland police. And in my mind, I can't help but have some uncomfortable thoughts here about chain of command. And I was interviewed a couple of years ago about, you know, it's kind of like in fashion now to compare the U.S. to Rome. And like, I'm I'm not the most expert person here ever. But one of the points I made was like, yeah, uh, I am the most expert in Rome, the most ever. expert, the most, the most. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, one of the questions I got asked was like, oh, don't you think President Trump might be trying to subvert, you know, something, something democracy, whatever, you know, that was the point that was being made. And my point was like, yeah, maybe he's trying to do that. But I find it hard to imagine that uh, when Trump leaves office at some point, that the military would continue to follow his orders even after, you know, another president. And, you know, because that's essentially what happened in Rome was that you you had uh, individual loyalty to, uh, to, you know, one general or another rather than to the state. And so what What's going on here brings up some uncomfortable thoughts about, okay, yeah, um, is local law enforcement following the chain of command? I actually don't know. I imagine that that's probably a legal question that could be answered. But, you know, if it's gotten to the point where the police is not following locally represented uh, politicians um, and instead is cooperating with federal agents kind of against the will of the local public, that really, you know, uncomfortable questions about chain of command and loyalty. And that is the sort of stuff that really brought the republic down. Yes. What I will say about Portland, and this is like, this is a, a hair to split that might be an important one, is that the, uh, the city council order to not cooperate with the feds came somewhat late in the game. However, the leadership of Portland's law enforcement claimed that they were not cooperating with the federal troops earlier than that when they in fact were. So it may be that there is a loyalty problem, but not necessarily a flagrant violation of chain of command mm-hmm. going on there. But and and so it's uh, it's murky. 
so in addition to what's going on in Portland, which we'll get to a sec, um, the the deployments, I actually missed a few cities in the deployments. Uh, there was a an announcement on July 29th that in addition to Kansas City and again on its kind of on its own in its own uh uh branch of what's going on over here, Portland. Um, there will be deployments. There are deployments of 42 agents, federal agents to Detroit and a little more than 25 each to Cleveland and Milwaukee with plans further to send them to Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia. Um, and uh, the, you know, the responses from the mayors are kind of lukewarm. So in Detroit, Mayor Mike Duggan said that he'll so support the deployment, quote, so long as they, the federal troops, are used in the continuing effort to enforce federal laws on illegal gun trafficking and gang violence, right? So he's saying, I consent as long as you're doing the stuff that's within your federal legal mandate. In Kansas City, who was the first appointment, um, Mayor Lucas told USA Today last week, quote, if Trump's rhetoric, uh, sorry, it, meaning Trump's rhetoric, makes it very hard to stand with and explain this operation to the public, I want to find justice for Legend Telefero, but to get that justice, you don't have to make the community a ploy in an election year, right? So there's some, there's some angst and consternation going on with where some of these are deployed, um, in particular because of Portland, which we'll, we'll get to a little bit. Um, we'll, again, I keep saying we'll get to, we'll get to. Uh, in Milwaukee, Mayor Tom Barrett said last week that, quote, Given the events that have taken place in Portland over the last few nights, I'm extremely concerned that President Trump is looking for opportunities to create more political division in cities across the nation. Federal agents are not welcome here for that purpose. If the federal presence is to truly cooperate with local law enforcement, then it is imperative the limits of their activities are clearly delineated and monitored. In response to these concerns, um, uh, William Barr, the uh, attorney general, or is he the Secretary of Justice? AG. AG, thank yeah. you. The Attorney General, William Barr, said, uh, quote, This is different from the, op the operations and tactical teams we use to defend against riots and mob violence. We will continue to confront mob violence. But the operations we are discussing today are very different. They are classic crime fighting, uh, he said, while not specifically referring to Portland, where protesters have demonstrated against police brutality since the May 25th death of George Floyd at the hands of police in Minneapolis. So um, there is a, you know, so, so what happened in Portland and, and again, it's now, it's now ended, but what happened in Portland, you know, has spooked the heck out of these uh, mayors where the rest of where, where rather operation legend um, is being set. And finally, I think the last, you know, the last like kind of high level what, uh, response to what's going on here is the DHS, the secretary of the department of Homeland of Homeland Security, uh, Wolf, I don't have his first name, but Secretary Wolf reported to the Associated Press, quote, uh, that he, quote, drew a distinction between the mission to Portland to protect federal property and the surges in Kansas City, Chicago and Albuquerque to help stop violence. So, again, at least ostensibly talking about two different things, you know, the deployment to Portland to def to protect federal property, uh, which is at least the original mandate. And uh, the deployments to places such as Kansas City, Albuquerque, Detroit, Milwaukee, Cleveland, and potentially Chicago, Baltimore, and Philadelphia to fight rising crime. So let's look at the contention that in the case of Operation Legend, federal troops and investigators are being deployed due to a surge in crime and violence. So um, even though Portland is again not part of Operation Legend, let's and the argument is that there have been crimes committed against federal property there. Let's start with Portland, just because it is it is a little bit different and has drawn a lot of national attention. So, is crime rising in Portland? Let's just start there, and the answer is yes. July shootings and murders have gone up year over year. So, in in the first twelve days of July alone, so a little old. We've witnessed an increase in gun violence by over 380% as compared to the last year. So from, Ju from July 1 to 13, 2019, Lowell said there were 11 shootings, excluding suicides in Portland. So far this month, he said there have been 42. Yeah. So there you get both the relative risk compared to last year and just the absolute numbers. And there are a lot of explanations from this. It could be, you know, higher unemployment rates due to COVID. It could be, you know, the deployment itself of federal troops. Um, 
It could be police being afraid to act in the current political environment, environment given uh, what has transpired between the end of May until now. Um, but in May and June, crime statistics were, were down overall year over year. So shootings and murders went up, but overall crime was down for slightly different time period. But you can get a sense of the trend there. Yeah. And it's a slight decrease. So June 2018, you had 4,000, just shy of 5,000 total offenses in the city of Portland, um, like reported offenses, including you know, assaults, homicides, arson, larceny, robbery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so just sort of 5,000. And then in June 2020, 4,200 or so. So actually, you know, actually a somewhat meaningful, somewhat meaningful decline that we'd seen actually kind of this ramping down throughout the year. And then and then it seems there was a spike again in July. Right. Now, in the case of Portland, the Department of Homeland Security forces, if you want to call it that, are are largely trying to control protesters and ostensibly keep them from damaging federal property. And this has included tear gassing, but also um, notably something that's now been covered in the news a fair amount. There have been reports and videos of some protesters uh, just being pulled off the streets and thrown into vans. Um, they, were, they were pulled off the streets by people who um, were, did not identify themselves as law enforcement, didn't have any identifying markers, and were put into vans without any sort of law enforcement identifying features. And in my mind, this is, you know, pretty scary stuff. Yeah, and I think the reason it's so scary, right? And like kind of regardless of, like if you're sitting there saying, look, these protests were out of control, you know, courthouses were were being damaged and set on fire and the federal government has a right to defend its property, right? Which like, okay, so, so and I don't want to object to that. But, but what's scary about how it's being done is a fewfold. And I think this is the scariest for, for a very important reason. And it's about civil liberties, right? So one of the reasons, so like you as an American have a right to know that like the person pointing a gun at you is a police officer, not some rando dude. Right. Or that the person putting you in a car with handcuffs is a police officer, and not a rando dude. Why? Because you're legally obligated to comply if it's a police officer. And if it's some rando dude with a gun and a van. Right. You have every right. And probably it is a good idea to try to get the heck out of there. So if there's ever if, if it is ever unclear Right. If it's ever unclear whether this person with a gun and some camo, which, by the way, the camo, all that stuff, like you get pictures of these folks, uh, uh, especially early on, because I think they've added some markings since then. But it just said police. It's like some dude in camo with a thing that says police. You can buy that on Amazon. Right. You can buy it on Alibaba, eBay, whatever. And you roll up with an unmarked van and no badge, no officer ID, nothing. And just say, like, yep, you're coming with me and throwing you in a van. Right. Like. If a citizen literally cannot tell the difference between some like crazy person in camo with a gun and a police officer, we've got problems, right? Like that should not be happening and there's really no reason for it. Um, that's been one of the, the most shocking uh, events that has happened in the last couple of months for me. I mean, there's been lots of shocking events. I was about to say a couple months. Uh, oof, yeah. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. It's just it's a it's a shit year. But it I. It's it's we try to do our best to uh, when when we feel very strongly about something on the show, like be upfront about it. And I feel very worried about the fact that this sort of thing can transpire. Uh, and it seems like, you know, I think there have been some sort of chart, not charges filed, but like a lawsuit. Lawsuits. There's been lawsuits filed against those officers and um, or I guess there are officers. There, there have been lawsuits filed as a result of this event. Right. Um, yes. Which is good. But the fact that it can still happen is it's yeah, they weren't disappeared. For months, uh, the people who were who were taken in were were released. That's good, but it's just not a step in the right direction. That's not the the, the momentum we want to have in this country. So the the clashes between protesters and uh, these agents continued basically the entire month of July. You know, I, I'm sure everyone's seen the the wall of moms, the wall of vets. You know. Like suburban dads, probably with like leaf blowers that they pulled out of their garage and, you know, blowing tear gas back. And it really looked like, you know, state versus citizens. And, you know, and, and probably like depending on what media you watch, you either see the parts where, you know, there's just people like there's just people standing around protesting, chanting, and then boom, the, the flash grenades and the tear gas and all that stuff that 
you know, is actually illegal in, in the Geneva Conventions, comes flying at them, and then it lights up. Or you see, you know, you either get that view and you go, oh my god, this is horrible. Um, or you get the view of, you know, of uh, protesters throwing Molotov cocktails at the federal courthouse. And you go, oh my gosh, this is awful, and they need to be put down. But, you know, but certainly one thing we do know, and I, I think we're, you know, hopefully we're not too biased sort of like, just by talking about people's civil liberties being, you know, being violated here is that is that you have people just hanging around uh, and you have federal troops telling them, you know, telling them, go home. And if you don't, we're going to tear gas you and then tear gassing them. We, of course, have you know, we know I, I'm sure we've all seen uh, the Navy vet who is just standing stoically as a couple of these. As I believe they're yeah, they're custom. Uh, uh, sorry, custom and Border Patrol officers just came up and beat the crap out of him with sticks and he ended up having a broken arm. Oh yeah, and they spray him in the face with uh with mace and then he just walks away, right? And uh you know, and of course was it was it at all were they threatened by him? No. Uh doesn't look like it. Was he breaking any law? Probably not. And even if he was, he's just standing there. You know, is if 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 he was breaking law, he's breaking curfew and just standing there. You know, this this stuff is a bad look and it got obviously a lot of pushback in in the national eye, and and the mayor of Portland, and the governor of Portland, and the attorney general, sorry, governor of Oregon, and the attorney general of Oregon, we're all you know we're all saying these you know these troops need to leave. We don't want them. Lawsuits started being filed, and then on the 29th they left. Uh, and since then there have been further protests in Portland, but they have so far been peaceful as of August 1st. And I I. I on some social media account, it was either Twitter or Facebook, um, mentioned the example of the Navy veteran gotten, getting beaten because there's a video of this. And it, it is, again, fairly alarming. And someone responded and said, look, what you're leaving out is, you know, all of these people had announced that an area needed to be cleared out. And, you know, um, he didn't clear out. And this is just standard crowd control tactics. I don't know if that's true. I'm not familiar with crowd control tactics. Um and it may be that people were told to leave that area before. I have not verified that. But I, I think there is, you know, an issue of proportionality. And we talked about this a little bit before we started the show, Eric. But like the idea that, you know, maybe he was supposed to leave the area, but he was not threatening anyone. He wasn't armed. He was just wearing a T-shirt. And six officers, it was five or six, start beating him very strongly with batons and spray him in the face at close range with uh, pepper spray. And I just don't, it, it doesn't seem reasonable to me as a citizen that that, that degree of force is justified um, in that situation. Yeah, I, you know, you said proportional, you know, I, I tend to think of like proportionality as a response for like deterrence or punishment that you use in foreign policy, right? Like, like, you know, people talk about whether Israel's attacks on Palestine, whenever Palestine throws some rockets at them are proportional. And I, I, I don't like the term proportionality. Now, justifiable is a, is a good one here where, you know, where I think if you're defending that kind of behavior, you're really saying, look, every time someone does not comply with the orders of an officer, that officer has a right or at least a, like has a right to, to break their arm, right? Like, you don't, you didn't comply with what I said. Great. I get to break your arm. I don't think we generally believe that, right? Like, I think if you and I think about ourselves, you know, let's say we're protesting something we're believing in or, or just doing something that, you know, happens to be not allowed. For example, speeding, right? You know, or some other thing that that is you're, you're not legally allowed to do, right? We're speeding, we're, we're I don't know, uh, someone's smoking a joint in a park or something. And the cop says, put that joint out. And they say, just a minute, man, right? Like, is it, is it, autom you know, are we automatically at, break the person's arm level, right? And I think most Americans would agree the answer is no until they're in this point of being so, like, culturally fired up that, you know, that, like, oh, this Navy vet, he's clearly a violent anarchist, and so he's suddenly become this other, right? And as soon as you other this person, well, of course, breaking their arm is fine. They're not, a, you know, they're an other, right? They're not like me. But I think, like, you know, if it's your kid or your dad, right, and it's like, Oh, your excuse for like wailing on my dad and breaking his arm is that you told him to disperse and he like took too long? Come on, right? And and so I th I think like this is where having a little bit of empathy for 
you know, for our fellow man is important here because usually like the justifications we hear for excessive use of force by the police are that they're scared or or something, you know, and that that has its own set of problems like, well, maybe they should be trained better. But, you know, but like this guy clearly wasn't doing anything scary. He's just literally standing there. And surely there are other reasonable ways to get him to leave other than breaking his arm. Now, part of the problem here, right, there's a second layer of problem here, which is that the federal troops, like, it was not, it's not their job, their mandate, or even their jurisdiction to get people to clear the streets of Portland. They were there to protect federal property. So people can stand around on the streets of Portland all they want. As far as the federal troops are concerned, it's not their problem. Now, if local police, you know, if there are local ordinances for a curfew, which have to be, which at this point have to be local, then local police should be the ones, you know, enforcing that. And local police should be the ones saying like, okay, you got to disperse. You've got five minutes. If you're not dispersing, we're going to do blank, right? Whatever blank is. So I don't, again, I don't know all that much about riot control tactics, but, um, but not federal troops. And we've got some links in here about you know, a, a number of times that these these troops ventured very far from federal property and just got into the streets to break up protests, which, again, was specifically not their job and they're not legally allowed to do. That seems pretty explicit. We haven't heard any legal experts saying that they are allowed to do it, you know, to just like go into a city and break up protests. And so we've got some reports from Oregon Live, from The New York Times, from The Wall Street Journal. And these guys, they are, they are troops from the DHS known as Bortak, which is a cool name. Bortak. Um, yeah, Bortak. And uh, the Wall Street Journal describes them as, quote, Agents from the Border Patrol's elite unit known as Bortak typically track smugglers, serve high-risk warrants, and raid stash houses. For much of the past month, they've been working the streets of Portland. Members of the squad of roughly 120, who are trained in the use of weapons from pistols and sniper rifles, are among the most highly trained federal agents who've been sent to Oregon's largest city and the least frequently deployed to quell unrest within the United States, right? So it even calls into question, like, not even calls into question, like, these guys are not trained in crowd control. They're just not. So, like, anyone even saying, like, well, this is standard crowd control, it's like, well, you probably know more about standard crowd control than they do, (laughs) right? Because if you've ever read about because these guys, like, their job is to hunt down, like, cartels right? like heavily armed cartels it's why they're paramilitary and um you know they're being sent to like stand guard at a building which they've never been trained to do or never done before and then they're venturing outside of that mandate to you know to do crowd control and enforce curfew which they've never been trained to do and never done before right so it seems like a just a really bad de- deployment if your goal is to actually try to de-escalate the situation Right. And a lot of people got hurt, you know, in addition to our, our Navy guy, you know, a lot of people like like the, the mayor of Oregon got hit with tear gas while he was tr- while he was trying to convince people to disperse. They tear gas him, which was classic, classic Bortak. Yeah, classic Bortak. Uh, they also like, you know, shot rubber bullets at people and, and broke a bunch of bones and actually like uh, hit some guy in a face while he was he ended up have to go to the hospital because I believe, you know, big wound and, and some broken bones in his face. Cause he's standing there holding a sign. How dare he? So, so, uh, you know, it's, it's one of these things that's that it's hard with like, again, whether you think that the protests in Portland should have been like shut down or not, it seems like it was like, like the execution was not good. Right? The execution got a lot of people hurt. It failed to shut down the protests and actually inflamed the protests, right? There, were a lo- there was a lot more protesting going on because these federal troops in camo were running around shooting everyone tear gas. And, um, you know, a lot of people got hurt and a lot of rights were probably violated and a lot of laws were probably broken. So, like, just not, not good, right? Hard to defend as a success. And in the... Um, I know I'm talking a lot, but in the, in the attempt to kind of defend... Uh, defend the action of the Portland troops. You know, Trump, of course, just said they're doing a great job. But acting secretary, DHS Secretary Wolf, can, you know, has has a press release that's sorry, that says, quote, acting secretary Wolf condemns the rampant, long lasting violence in Portland. 
And you got to read this. Um, it's on the DHS.gov website. You can't blame this for being anyone's fault, but, but the DHS, they wrote it themselves. It sounds to me like something you get out of China, where every single line of all these crimes describes, quote, violent anarchists. Not just people, but they're all, literally every crime is violent anarchists. So, quote, Violent anarchists graffitied new plywood covering the windows at the Hatfield Courthouse and ripped down plywood on the other side of the building. Violent anarchists. Violent anarchists. Yes. Quote, violent anarchists graffitied the Gus J. Solomon Courthouse. Violent anarchists. Yes. Or this gem. Quote, DHS law enforcement officers supported local police to help a violent anarchist who overdosed. (laughs) And he's like, and it was like just some guy who'd taken drugs, right? But because Bortak was involved, he was automatically a violent anarchist. Violent um, anarchist. Sorry, that's my so, thing now. Yeah, you just like uh, I, I'll make sure that this one's bolded so you guys can read it. It is. It unfortunately reads like satire because it's so absurd, and like sixty percent of the crimes uh, are graffiti, and almost all the crimes that before the uh before Bortak shows up are graffiti and that like almost all the crimes that's like look at all these violent anarchists graffitiing things violently graffitiing them and then after Bortak shows up and starts tear gassing everyone then the protests get violent and they start like throwing molotov cocktails back and so you've now just like self-justified you know this action by calling these people who were not particularly violent before violent anarchists and by shooting at them, largely unprovoked, they get violent in return. You say, see, see, such violent anarchists. It's not a good read, right? It's, it's really not a good look. And, and this is the best that the DHS was like, this is their own propaganda that they were trying to use to justify this. And, um, you know, and, and in, in what country do you label, you know, I just, I don't know. I just can't imagine the United States in the 80s like with the Cold War drawing drawing so much of a, a contrast where like, you know, every time the USSR goes and like beats the, you know, sends unmarked police to beat the crap out of a bunch of people who dare defy, uh, you know, the president or the whoever leads the Soviet Union. I don't know what the role was, actually, but whatever. Who dares defy the state, right? Um, you know, like you'd expect the Soviet Union to be like, ah, yes, all violent anarchists. Like, look at this violent anarchist violently dying of a drug overdose over here, right? Anarchically dying of a drug overdose. And, um, you know, you'd expect that to come from the Soviet Union, not the United States. I'm, I'm, I was not pleased to read that. No, it was a little appalling. Um, violent anarchists graffitiing. <laughs> Plywood. Yes. Um, Ply- plywood, yes, exactly. New plywood that we just put up <laughs> and then pulling plywood off the other side of the building. Yeah. It's like, oh, God, yeah. guys, really? All right. Um, violently. Vi- violently pulling off plywood. So now we've talked about Portland a little bit, and we've kind of, at the top of the show, we mentioned why that's a little bit of the exception. It's not technically in the other Operation Legend cities. Um, but uh, let's now look at those other cities uh, that are Operation Legend proper and see how crime has trended in those cities. So Chicago, the city that's been receiving a lot of attention, has crime increased in Chicago? And the answer is yes, it has. Let's see, total violent crime was up, but we have murders in Chicago here. Yeah, murders in Chicago in June 2020 rose by 78%. That's um, a pretty big increase. Um, shootings across the city were up 75%. In June. Um, now, it's, it's, that's a meaningful increase, but it's good when you look at measures of relative risk like that. So, like, you know, if 100 people die this year and 300 people die next year, you can say, oh my gosh, um, three times as many people died, right? It increased by 200%. It's also good to have the absolute figures because it gives you a sense of scale and not just trend. So, we said shootings across Chicago increased by 75% in June. Um, what's, What's the total number? 424 shootings occurred in June 2020 compared to 242 in June 2019. So there's about 180 more shootings in June this year than June last year. And if murders rose by 78%, um, that figure is 89 murders occurred in Chicago in June 2020 compared to 50 in the prior year. So 39 more people died in June in Chicago from murders than last year. So big percentage increases, but still we're talking about a relatively small percentage of the total population. Because how many people live in Chicago? Population. Like, probably like 
seven million, eight million. Let's see. Well, Chicago proper seems like two point seven million. So Chicago okay. area. Yeah, and then the, the Chicago metropolitan area is closer to ten million. So you know, fractions of a percent still people's lives. But when you're thinking yeah. about risks, it's good to know what the total risk is that you're talking about too. So that said, violent crime has increased in Chicago. And I think this is this is one of those places in particular where depending on what you want the answer to be like, you can or or like the the kind of like the story to be, you can either say this is a big deal or this is not a big deal. I don't think Xander and I are positioned to tell you whether this is a big deal, right? Like murder and 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 maybe murder is one of those things that's like worse than other kinds of deaths, right? Um especially like when it's young people being murdered, right? They're having their lives taken away from them and, you know, early and, and, um, you know, and, and you get to, um, you know, you, you, depending on the political branding, I think you're either going to be turned on or turned off by this. So if you say, look, this is, this is a law and order problem, right? You're going to get some people fired up and some people turned off by it. But if you say like, look, this is, this is like our poorest, most vulnerable you know, populations, generally speaking, they're like ethnic minorities. Um, generally speaking, they're like, you know, kind of underserved by our state as a whole. And and now because of the spate of murders, like people feel less safe than they have in years. Right. And the police aren't aren't doing enough to to protect this highly vulnerable population. Like you're probably going to get a very, you know, probably going to get the two tribes to swap how how amped up they are about this. And you know, you have this kind of problem where you say, uh, you know, look, is it is it enough to like are are enough more people being killed and afraid for the lives to justify extraordinary action? And you know, what if like you know, one of the things Trump is saying is that you know these these liberal Democrat mayors are are at fault for this but he's elaborated a little bit of that saying you know look the mayors aren't doing anything to protect these people i have to right and and how bad and how bad does it need to get for there to be a bit of a moral quandary if you know if if the local leadership is refusing help right if they say well i don't i don't want help it's like okay well people are a lot of people are being killed so what are you doing about it Right. Might be the response. I, we can't. This is, this is a place where we certainly can't do the thinking for you. But I think it's worth thinking about, um, as we saw, as we saw from some of these mayors reactions. Part of the problem is that, you know, normally, probably normally they would say, like, sure, we'd love the help. Right. Like you want to send federal resources to help us track down murderers? Dunzo. But there's a trust gap that's emerged because of Portland. And then, of course, the other thing you got to ask yourself is to what extent and we'll get back to this a little bit. But to what extent is this actually motivated to help people or is it a political ploy because you know you also have you know you have these you know dozens or across the country even maybe hundreds of people that have been murdered in excess of last year but then how many people have died from the coronavirus um you know how many americans have been killed by the coronavirus which is a which is something that the president has said is a hoax or will go away on its own or he takes no responsibility you know and so you 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 know, you then kind of look at the the I guess the the like the, this like kind of credibility gap that the president may have specifically about how much he's actually just concerned. He's like, oh my gosh, these you know Americans are dying, um, and you know how much is this tied into a a reelection campaign that that he seems to be basing on law and order, right? So uh, it's it's gnarly. And and it's been it's unfortunately highly politicized when, of course, you know, protecting our fellow Americans from from being afraid of being murdered should be something that, you know, that doesn't that doesn't need politicizing. But that's not the age we live in. Okay, so. How is this all playing out? Right. And in a recent episode, uh, we talked about, well, the title of the episode was Who Watches the Watchman? And it's, you know, fairly self-explanatory. But. How do we keep check on the state if it appears that it is not necessarily acting in a way that is uh, according in, you know, the the opinion of the local population, right? And what happens when you escalate with force? Well, usually, you know, it can often uh, devolve into a spiral of es- escalation. 
And, uh, you know, as the federal agents left in Portland, the protests basically, again, became peaceful. Um, so how has this played out in other cities? Yeah, so the, you know, we, we noted that we have these, um, we have these mayors that are a little bit, uh, you know, spooked by, um, you know, by these agents coming by. And, you know, with the exception of Kansas City, there's, you know, the, the deployments of Operation Legend are quite new. But, uh, but in, in Kansas City, where Operation Legend has been going on for a while, there have been 97 total arrests made, which I later read uh, the local Kansas City authorities are saying those didn't all happen in July. They've been hap- that's all year. So it may not even be 97, but but that, you know, the feds have been turns out there have been some federal investigators helping in Kansas City anyway, because, you know, federal investigators like they have to operate somewhere. Right. And so they they run around the country tracking gang stuff, tracking drug trafficking and gun trafficking and other cross state, you know, cross state line stuff. So, they you know, they, these kind of cooperations are quite regular. Right. They're, they're quite regular. And um, so anyway. But potentially 97 arrests made, um, including some drug stuff, some gun stuff, some carjacking and five murder suspects. And so, you know, maybe maybe that's been helping some uh, with the increase in violent crime in Kansas City. Maybe not. And, uh, you know, so far they haven't uh, so far, there hasn't been much activity elsewhere because it's been so new. Right. So, like, for example, the deployment to Chicago was announced on July 22nd and it's it's. You know, we're we're talking about like a hundred federal investigators again on stuff like gangs, gun crime, and drug trafficking. Which you know, again, look if if that's happening, then great. But part of the part of the challenge, as we mentioned, is that there are you know is that is that like the mayors of these cities are a little bit spooked by you know by what happened in Portland, and so they're not sure whether you know they're in a position you know either politically to be able to support this or or whether you know, the, the presence of these federal agents is even going to help. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, Things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now, in terms of the political fallout, we've kind of talked about this a little bit um, when, when Eric, you read the quotes from a number of different mayors, um, you know, that it basically said, you know, we, we kind of don't want the federal troops here. We haven't come across any polls on how uh, different potential voters are reacting to the either the Portland deployment or the rest of Operation Legend. So if, if listeners, you come across some, hit us up, uh, Xander or Eric, E-R-I-K, at reconsidermedia.com. We'd love to take a look at that data. So I, I think something else that's worth focusing on at sort of a high level here, which, which may lead us to a few reconsider moments, is you know, whether or not this is morally justifiable, which you know, is largely an opinion to a certain extent. We can look at whether or not the president has the authority to do all this stuff. And it, we can at least focus in on Portland because it is sort of um, its own case and it's the one that's received the most attention. But h- how would we even evaluate that, right? Well, one thing would just be, you know, states' rights or local lo- rights. Has the governor of Oregon or the mayor of Portland um, consented to this? They haven't. You know, has Congress authorized any sort of action? And the answer is basically no. And the Oregon uh, attorney general is against it, and they've sued as a result of these deployments. Right, and the you know, and and one of the one of the really important 
structures that that has been, you know, the the foundation of the United States has been, you know, the separation, you know, separations of powers from many angles, including, you know, including federal, state and local. Right. And and so we you know, we have these we have a few more like potential mayors pushing back here where, you know, Trump threatened in a tweet, I think, to, to send the troops to New York and Mayor Bill de Blasio said, we do not consent. We object. Do not send the proposed agents and officers from the Department of Homeland Security or other federal agents to New York City. They have not been requested. They are not needed. And we have proved and they have proved to bring way more harm than good. In Baltimore, who's also on the list, a spokesman for Mayor Bernard Jack Young said uh, the mayor would simply not respond to the president's use of public safety strategy as a political issue. So he's just going to keep keep his mouth shut. Mayor Marty Walsh of, of Boston, who I don't think is on the list. Uh, said, quote, while we have no information that Boston's being targeted, I want to make absolutely clear. Sorry, I, I can't I can't help. While we have no information that Boston is being targeted, I want to make absolutely clear that behavior and the type of so-called help is not welcome here in the city of Boston. It's being done with no communication and no working with no elected local elected or no public safety agency in those different cities. It's being done with no regard for the rights or safety of protesters and appears to be needlessly escalating the situation. And, you know, generally speaking, the I think the like the best way that I've seen whether Trump is allowed to do this was summed up by uh, Andrew Napolitano, who's a former judge um, and a, a resident at Fox News. He weighs in on legal stuff a lot. Um, and he just said clearly that like local consent is necessary for these deployments to be constitutional at all. Right. So um, like you have to have like if you're going to be sending troops or you're going to be sending um, agents, you have to have local, you know, this, this, this local consent. And again, whether you're sending agents to investigate crimes versus troops to, you know, point tear gas guns and rubber bullet guns and flash grenades at American citizens who are protesting are two very different different matters, but both but both are important. And the um, I think the the you know the local consent part sums it up pretty well. And it's because of some of the details around Posse Comitatus and the Insurrection Act, where you know if you're um, you know if you're going to send troops to enforce order, you need to use uh, either uh, Posse Comitatus, where you need uh, Congress's, excuse me, where you need Congress's permission, or, or you know they need to write a law that says like, look, go do this, or you need uh, local requests for help, and uh, and that's more or less under the Insurrection Act. There are other things in the Insurrection Act. We talk about this in detail at uh, in the Who Watches the Watchmen episodes, but the short version is like you would either need to have local governments asking for help or the state would like need to be in an insurrection. And there are some definitions for that, um, which have of course not been met. Um, and so it looks like Trump doesn't have the legal authority to do this. And, and it's not just a little thing, right? Like, like, cause legal authority, you know, it's the kind of thing that, that, or like whether something is legal is one question, like it's illegal to speed. Right. But, but there are also like some foundational points here where if you think about it, the only people that are cool with this in a lot of ways are Trump and people that he is appointed to work for him. Right. So essentially like, like people who report to him. So it's essentially one man, one person who authorized the deployment of troops to Portland and potentially like, depending on what he decides to do with these mayors who are saying they don't want help. It may be one person saying, you know, I don't care what you think I'm going to be doing this. And is that how like, is that good? Is that the kind of power that we would want a president to have um, in the United States ongoing, right? Which is always the problem when, an ex when a president kind of tries to flex and expand their power beyond what, what we've agreed to before, is that the next president can do it too, uh, as long as they get away with it. And I think that, like, even if it's not a moral grapple for Americans, it's certainly a kind of like essence of our constitution or essence of our nation grapple that we have to be thinking about. So... We're not attorneys, we're not lawyers, but it doesn't appear like the president had the legal authority to, um, to even do this, the deployments in Portland. So are those DHS troops in Portland, uh, were they breaking the law? Eh, 
probably. I mean, at least in some cases, it seems like, you know, as we've talked about, there have been claims and video evidence of people being uh, detained without being given the Miranda rights or even being, you know, told why they're being arrested. Um, a lot of a lot of law enforcement officers doing arrests didn't, didn't identify themselves as law enforcement officers, didn't have badges or other IDs. It's not super clear to us whether federal policing laws require them to do that. So I guess that that's something we can get into in a little bit more detail at some other point. But but certainly there are, uh, at the very least, uh, legal complications and murky gray areas involved with law enforcement officers who are not identifying themselves, um, throwing people into vans and not telling them why they're doing that. And as we mentioned, Oregon's attorney general did file a restraining order and lawsuit against the DHS for law, uh, unlawful law enforcement tactics. And so the, this entire uh, issue has been actually this is an interesting moment for uh, 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 an interesting time for a reconsider moment, because even just a couple of years ago, like the idea of states rights was firmly a conservative mm. issue. Right. And now. A little surprisingly, but, you know, these things swing back and forth. You have the left advocating for the rights of states and local governments to oppose the federal government when the federal government is doing things that it considers are violating its state's rights. So that's flipped. And now you have a lot of I want to be careful with the word conservative because I know a lot of conservatives would say that, you know, Trump supporters are not necessarily always conservative. But you have a lot of people who have traditionally been in the Republican Party, which has traditionally been the party of states' rights. Um, saying that, you know, the law and order narrative is okay. It's okay for the federal government to step in and override states' rights um, in order to provide uh, additional uh, um, enforcement capabilities for the sake of, a, you know, a couple hundred additional murders in a city. Yeah. It's a, it's a, and what's, what, what's so frustrating that complicates this further is that, you know, we have to, like, we have to explore the extent to which this is a political stunt anyway. Because ultimately, you know, part of the problem is when when the president abuses their power, like with, you know, impeachment is possible and they can be removed from office. But generally speaking, the worst that happens is that, you know, a court case says, well, you can't do that. Right. And so the personal consequences to the president of doing this are quite limited, except possibly losing the election. But if this is a political stunt to try to support winning the election, then like what has he got to lose? Right. But ultimately, you know, the, the what he's gambling with is kind of like not his own stakes, but the stakes of the Constitution. And the, you know, uh, case in point here being that, you know, maybe it's like maybe maybe the fact that he's tweeting so much about law and order and claiming that, you know, claiming that Joe Biden is going to destroy the suburbs, which I guess is like, I don't know, it's it's. I guess he like heard from a campaign aide that he's losing the suburbs, right? Which he'd won in some states that that propelled him to victory, such as Wisconsin. So he's like, oh, I'll just tell them that Joe Biden's going to destroy the suburbs. And, you know, and, and to what extent, to what extent is he, you know, to what extent is the president interested in having some good video of kind of chaos and disorder in, in cities, which by the way, you know, in Portland increased with the deployment of these troops, not decreased. Right. And, and so and so to what extent is this a political stunt to try to get people spooked about, you know, like, oh, gosh, there's all this crime in the cities and Donald Trump is the only thing standing between us um, and that coming to the suburbs. And, and you know, we can't look, we 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 don't actually have a window into the guy's soul, so we can't say for certain. However, the timing is a little bit suspicious. Yeah. And, you know. It, it might end up it might end up not backfiring. I know that was a lot of double negatives, but just because in part different tribes in the US get so many different views now, um, right. especially with all of the different, you know, social media bubbles and echo chambers that we've talked about before. So if you curate these videos that have been coming out of the protests sufficiently, you can really paint whatever story you want. And we do know that heavy curation is going on in the media right now. And the example that that we posted recently, um, Fox News put up a, piss, uh, a picture uh, claiming that it was from like a, a riot in Portland of some building being burned down. But it turned out there's actually, um, you know, a footage from some other city like five years ago. And I forget which one it was. It was completely unrelated. And they miscaptioned and, and, you know, they just they were wrong. It was factually incorrect. And they subsequently removed the photo. And we know that this isn't just Fox, um, because when I posted that up, 
a reader uh, provided me with a link to that same thing that happened on CNN. It was about a year ago, and I I, for, I forget the exact article, but like be skeptical. The these large media companies, uh, you know, will often have fact checkers, but that happens, and it happens across the aisle on on both you know different quote unquote sides of 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 the media. So just, you know, it's election year. Be aware that media curation is going to be going on all over the political spectrum. Yeah. And captioning, captioning is, is, seems to be the place where people can BS the most. Like if you're familiar with like forwards from grandma, right? Where grandma's like, I I remember a, a relative of mine forwarded something that was, it was just a picture of a hotel. And this was back in like 2014. And it was just like, it was a hotel and it was a, you know, inside, outside of a hotel. And it was like, this is the prison that that Obama spent your taxpayer dollars on outside of Chicago for his cronies. And it's sort of like, now you, you look, go to Snopes, you're like, it's literally a hotel, right? And, and so captioning, it's so easy to be like, oh, my, you see this thing? It's blank, right? And you go like, wow, that's blank. That's crazy. And you, and you got to be careful. But even if it is from Portland, you know, one thing we know is that, you know, I've seen the you know, I've seen some campaign ads from Donald Trump and he's, you know, he's got protesters who are throwing Molotov cocktails at at the court buildings. Right. And he's like, you know, and 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 saying, like, this is the future if Joe Biden is president. Right. Which is interesting because, of course, it's the present. It's the present right now. Like, like, this is not like it's happening right now in as Donald Trump is president and he's saying this will happen in the future if Biden's president. I'm surprised that's not backfiring too, but you know, whatever, you know, but we, so it's not just necessarily miscaptioning. It can be correct captioning, but you know, but no matter who you're hearing it from, could it be, God forbid, cherry picking of, of certain parts of the story and not others? No. Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that clearly can happen. And you know, there's so much opportunity in this to, to make a big political stink. and. To what extent was, like, if, again, I had said earlier, like, Bortak doesn't seem like the kind of troops that you'd want to send if you actually want to de-escalate the situation and get everyone to calm down and go home, right? Or, like, just showing up to your gassing people, and then after it doesn't work for the first 15 days, you know what? Let's just keep doing it, right? Like, hey, we tried tear gassing people for half a month, and now there's more protesters. Let's just keep tear gassing them, right? Um, so so I, I am, you know, I... I think if you're sitting there saying, look, what we really wanted, the reason we supported the president in this is we really wanted these these rioters to stop, you know, burning down property. Well, like, did it work while they were there? And if it didn't, then like, who's to blame? Right. If if you had this, you know, if you heard all these people and and caused all this mayhem and you, you failed to accomplish your result, then like, who's to blame? Maybe the person in charge. I don't know. But. But I think we do have to, I do, I, I do think we want to readdress the issue of the crime itself. Like if we go back to actually Operation Legend, not the Portland deployment, right? There's a lot of fear around it. There's a lot of resistance to it, you know, but I, but I think, you know, I, we, I think we've been beating up on, on Trump a lot here and it, I think he's earned it with this one. But, um, but I think we do need to talk about like, well, what are we doing about this increase in violent crime and to what extent? Is that increase in violent crime tied to, you know, as as the president is alleging, like tied to the kind of intimidation that police feel regarding kind of Black Lives Matter and defund the police and and the increased scrutiny that they see? Right. Are they just saying like, well, look, I'd love to do something about this, but I'm kind of scared right now. Um, Or is it, you know, due to some other cause entirely that we're not addressing? And how do we help people that are being victimized? by crime here. Like if we oppose something like, you know, if we, if we oppose something like, uh, operation legend, what are, what are we proposing as an alternative to help our fellow Americans? So one way to think about, um, the actual law and order issue, like, do we have a trend in the U S that is going the wrong way when it comes to crime is, you know, more Americans are being killed and victimized, but you know, what's the scale? And, we talk about this a lot with the coronavirus, uh, right? You know, it, 150,000 people have died. Um, you know, is it more dangerous than the flu? The answer is unequivocally yes. We, we just published a paper um, about this on reconsidermedia.com. But, you know, that is a question that's being asked a lot and it's a reasonable question because if something just poses a similar risk to something else that we deal with every day, 
then you know it doesn't necessarily merit all of us changing our actions around it. So let's talk about the scale of the increase in crime that we're seeing in some of these cities that um, is being used to justify Operation Legend in the first place. We, can, we already talked about Chicago a little bit, right? It, about 80 more people were killed in the first six months of this year compared to the last six months. Yeah, 80, 80 or so more homicides. Um, is this a big enough increase as a percentage of a 10 million person metropolitan area to, to uh, justify it being a federal priority? Or is it just a blip? You know, it's hard to tell when the numbers are so small, and I'm saying small relative to the population, um, not, you know, that people should, it's okay that people are getting killed. But when numbers are this small relative to the population, oftentimes you do get big swings when you look at just percentage increases. Should it be ignored until the coronavirus is under control? Does it or does it require extraordinary action now? These are some different ways we can think about the law and order issue instead of just you know hard on crime or you know the everything that the government does is bad, right? That that's one or way. Abolish the police, right? Yeah, yeah, it's one of the ways we. It's one of the levers we can twist. Yes, and you know, and and I think the 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 broader conversation that that I kind of wish we were having is is that look we've got these kind of like we we've got these two priorities that we want from police we want them to keep us safe from crime and you know if if the spike in crime you know 50% spike is is significant right it doesn't again it doesn't mean an extraordinary number of people are being victimized but it does mean something's changed right and it's worth looking into and and understanding that seems important so we have this, this dual priority where we want the police to keep us safe, and we also want the police to respect our civil rights while they attempt to do that, right? And the, the George Floyd protests are, you know, I think very justifiably in response to the police for at least a meaningful part of the population, right? Like not doing a good job on the protecting civil rights while trying to keep people safe part. Okay. You know, and and there are some calls to say abolish the police entirely and say, well, if we don't have police, it would be fine. And, you know, to what extent does the increase in crime give us pause around ideas like that? Now, regarding, you know, I don't want to I don't want to get into the weeds right now on on like diverting funding towards other stuff that that uh, or towards other like practices that that may be better suited to deal with certain crimes. You know, but I think we owe it to our fellow citizens to be sitting here saying, you know, okay. The, the increase in crime reminds us that we need to make sure that our solution for policing as a whole needs to incorporate a lot of stuff, not just, you know, not not simply like, oh, OK, well, if we get rid of the police, they won't be able to they won't be able to do bad stuff to us. So, boom, done. Right. But but, you know, if we're not going to have police, if we do have all this crime, you know, where, where people are getting hurt and killed, what, what are we doing about that? And and is it the police? Is it something else? So I think this is for me, this is just a reminder for everyone to be thoughtful but also kind of a you know a reframing of the issue as a whole that look we can have a conversation where it's not pro-police anti-police right we can have a conversation where it's not pro-law and order or pro-civil liberties um there's no reason it can't be both and you know and, and i know again law and order is a, a gnarly term but like kind of pro making sure people aren't victims of crime or pro uh, from citizens versus pro making sure people aren't victims of crime from police right it can be both so I think I, you know, maybe someday we will be able to, as a nation, have a have a conversation around that. And and in the meantime, uh, you know, the kind of the the sort of like big, um, you know, big, big, sexy stuff. Right. Like that that garners a lot of media attention will be the you know, will, will be what gets our, um, you know, kind of gets our gets our blood up in particular during election years. Right. So uh, I think. The the other reconsider moment is to be careful of of falling into um, falling into a trap of letting anyone set the agenda for you, right? Um, it's likely there is a much more interesting, helpful, productive conversation that we can all be having. So, real quick before we leave you today, um, just want to say we've actually done a lot of other shows and uh, articles on this topic in the last uh, two months or so. So we will provide those links in the show notes. If you've never checked out the show notes for one of our episodes, you can just go to reconsidermedia.com. And if you're listening to this episode, um, you know, a week or two after it came out, it'll just be front and center on the homepage. If you're listening to it later, just go to reconsidermedia.com and click podcast and you'll be able to find it there. 
um, either by category or, or, you know, you can just scroll through all of our podcasts and see what else we've done in the past. Um, we also had an infographic um, that we put together in June about how to get more involved in monitoring abuses of state power by the police mm-hmm. in, on a local level. We'll re-up that and make it easier to access. Um, and then uh, if you want more, on, more information on Posti Comitatus and the Insurrection Act, we did talk about that in um, part two of Who Watches the Watchmen. Um, again, it'll be in our show notes. We'll link all this up. But if you're finding Reconsider useful, we put a lot of effort into these into these episodes and everything that we write and publish on on our website as well. And right now, we're all still doing it for free. All the money that we get from our patrons is just reinvested back into the Reconsider platform because we both feel that having these sorts of conversations, um, while exclusively, is not something that Reconsider exclusively does by any means, is an important part of improving what, you know the broken conversations that we're having in the U.S. right now. So if you've gotten some benefit from that, uh, we'd appreciate a buck a show or two bucks a show, whatever you can afford. Um, you can do that at uh, patreon.com slash reconsider. We'll have a, a button up on our website soon if you just you know, want to shoot a PayPal payment our way, if that's easier for you. We're, we're being sustained by our listeners right now, and we're um, existing and creating content for our listeners. So if you want to chip in and you're able to, we'd appreciate that. But also, if you're not, we'd love for you to just get in on the conversation on Facebook. We have a group where we chat with everyone. And we very regularly create content based on either uh, listener requests or listener questions or just conversations that we've had with folks in, in the considerate community that make us reconsider and think. So reach out, engage, and we'd love to hear from you. And with that, dear listeners, don't let the pundits do the thinking for you. Pause and reconsider. This is Eric signing off. This is Xander signing off. See you next time. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.